And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. On this week's episode of Life Support Live, uh, we are talking about xenophobia. Uh, We're talking about a couple of things in particular based on some of the events that happened in the United States this week. And also... Once we're we're kind of uh, launching some of our the discussion. events that happen in Star Trek, like a hundred years from now, or <laughs> yeah, you, well, that's that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, a specific episode um, uh, from Star Trek Enterprise. Um, we got a, a shout out from uh, Jared, who said, uh, "Sitting at work, giving people vaccines. I miss you all. Thank you, Jared, for the work you're doing and making sure mm-hmm. that um, folks are getting vaccinated." It's and by hello. Jared- can I just suggest, Jared, that yeah. you hold off on the drinking game if you're giving people vaccinations? <laughs> yes, okay? yes, yes. Do not. Please, please, yeah. <laughs> Do not engage. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Larry, we um, um, another tough week in America. Um, there is a, a mass shooting that happened um, in this country that particularly targeted uh, mm-hmm. people of Asian ancestry, Asian Americans, and um, an episode of of very clear xenophobia. Um, we thought this could be a good uh, launching point for a discussion of, of xenophobia. Uh, we've talked about racism before on Life Support Live, um, but a lot of the discrimination that Asian American and Pacific Islander communities have experienced uh, over the last year does feel a bit more like xenophobia. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a very clear Star Trek episode, a two-parter, actually. Some might call a series finale that seems to really explore this issue really well. So um, this seemed like a great, great thing yeah. for us to talk about today. And But sorry, you know, uh, if you've never watched Enterprise <laughs> all the way through, or at least the, this particular two-part uh, episode of Enterprise, uh, spoilers! So, you know, it's... <laughs> It's like 16 years old now uh, coming up on. Uh, so, you know, you've been duly warned. If you've been putting off Enterprise for some reason or you thought you were going to like age into it uh, after all this time. Uh, but I just think after all the brouhaha of the uh, of the cursement era, maybe, you know, Enterprise's debates and controversies are looking a little old hat. So I just want to throw that out there just in case. Otherwise, yes, this is a very it made me think of for all the talk we talk about Star Trek and it's you know theme shows and all that. It's, you know, we, you know, there's no room on the bridge for racism, you know, for prejudice, mister, so leave it in your quarters. Um, for all that kind of, you know, underpinning throughout of all of Star Trek, this was really on the nose. And, you know, I something came up this week. We were talking about 
I saw this mentioned the difference between racism and xenophobia. It's like racism is like very, one particular. Uh, you know, what is it? It's, it's well, race is a human construct. We're all we're all one species, and race is that thing somebody thought up to to keep us divided, or maybe it was an inherent. Maybe it started with that fear of the other, which to me is what xenophobia is. It's fear of something unlike your exact self in some way. And and you dream up, well, there must be – there's difference, so there must be something different, different. And, you know, it's like – it's not so much about whether one is better than the other, which is what racism means to me maybe. But xenophobia is just like I don't know you at all. I don't want to think about it. And, I mean, there's racism involved. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, take over here. But it's like yeah. they are <clears throat> slightly different. And in the case of America's sad situations, people – you know, brought imported African American slaves over because they were seen as an inferior species and worthy of being dominated or worthy of that niche in civilization. Whereas it's like nobody wanted, like xenophobia works with Asians because the body type looks even more different than African. I mean, it seems even more alien. And that whole thing of fear of the alien, it's like, well, I can tell if you're just dark. We have a we have a spectrum. I'm getting down the dirt here a little bit, but we have a spectrum of skin color. But you guys are just altogether different. Yeah. I mean, so you're get it, the really grody kind of perspective on it. And so xenophobia, especially toward, say, Asians versus racism directed at like Hispanic, Latin American people, black Americans. It's 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 racism. But it's even more weirdly grounded. I don't know. I th I'm, Am I just badly butchering this here? <laughs> but this episode, this episode totally got at it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, a few things. Um, the episode that we're talking about is, um, Terra Prime, um, as well as the follow up episode, which is called Other Way Around. Oh, Terra sorry. Prime, Terra Prime is the finale, right? Terra Prime's Terra the finale. Demons. The, Demons. Demons and, and Terra Prime. These are, um, um, by the fans. And by the cast and crew, often considered to be the the true finale of Star Trek Enterprise, and when it when it gets to racism and xenophobia, the way I tend to think about it, Larry, yeah, racism is definitely um, um, ideas, belief, practices, um, systems that might give advantages to one racial group, see one racial group as superior. And um, discriminate against another group of people. When I think about xenophobia, I think more about otherizing and um, portraying someone as not being a part of your group, and that they are different. And because of those differences, they're they're not worthy. And I think there's there's some similarities here, and there's also some differences. Um, and we'll we'll get into all of that this week. But um, Demons and, and Terra Prime, um, you know, so much about Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise, is about the journey to that utopian future. And Demons and Terra Prime is sort of like... Um, First steps toward the utopian future. Yeah, it's, it's a big... It, it's, we really see Archer and crew grapple with a lot of the the xenophobia the outgroup prejudice that um that is so familiar to our world right now and for anyone who hasn't seen it um 
actually for anyone who hasn't seen that whole season spoil it right now yeah you will spoil it right now the um if you haven't dabbled with with enterprise um i would say you can probably just go in and watch the last season and it'll it'll feel quite familiar in terms of um the stories and the themes and all of that but it's definitely worth visiting if you haven't seen it um but this finale um this two-parter um is really good larry i really like this um for all there's a lot more scope to me i was this is the first time i think i've watched it in ages but there's a lot more scope to it i I was like oh now we're having a section 31 conversation oh now we're on the moon now we're on i mean i remember but to see it unwinding across two hours you know, it's like, oh, well, here's uh, here's even more. Here's the moon. Now here's Mars. Here's we're back on Earth. Yeah, you we've know. got um, um, our our uh, chat section. Our community is, is really um, uh, firing it all uh, with a full warp core uh, today. So Jason says um, um, Jason is defining xenophobia as dislike or prejudice of people from other countries. So that otherizing we're kind of talking about. And then David says racism is uh, superficially based on skin color. Xenophobia um, mm-hmm. is superficially about culture. Both are the same, just claim different reasons for the same kind of hate. Um, and and it's, what all, happened- it's, a, it's, it's almost like to me, xenophobia is like I won't even respect you enough to like have a have a box for my hate for you. It's like xenophobia is just like, Ugh. and then it's like, oh, come over here so I can kick you. With I I don't know it's like it's like xenophobia is a step below, um, on the hate scale or the you know just being ugly to people scale systemically and individually it's like xenophobia is a step below racism not that they should be quantified in any way but um yeah well they're both yeah they're both used for for discrimination for keeping um for keeping different groups um uh, for for maintaining power structures that benefit largely in america largely um white people and um xenophobia was really um it's been weaponized at at many different points in our history and has uh very much targeted um there's a long history of xenophobia targeting mm-hmm. um um Asian uh, people of Asian ancestry and um, mm-hmm. um, Asians uh, specifically, and then later Asian Americans as well. Um, if anyone hasn't really looked into, um, there's there's two main uh, parts of our own history that really t- there's many parts of our history that targeted Asian Americans. I mean, World War II really comes to mind and the internment of of Japanese Americans and a lot of the propaganda that was created to make um, all people of Japanese ancestry seen as other and the xenophobia that really applied there. But then um, you go you go even um, earlier in that. There's a history with the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 that everyone talks about. But if you go even further into history, there's the Page Act of 1875 that um, the, that the U.S. used to bar the immigration of Chinese women, and the rationale and justification of that was that uh, Chinese women are going to come here and they are going to um, uh, 
um, they're going to be a threat to our institution of marriage, that they're going to create uh, polygamy, um, that they're prostitutes. Um, and so you see... The, they're going to the drag a lady their way in. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a long history of um, U.S. policy that has not only had xenophobia at its roots against Asian people, but has also contributed to a lot of the hypersexualization of Asian women. And here we are, you know, uh, much later in the future, we're still dealing with the, the remnants of this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think Terra Prime and Demons really, um, plays into, gives us a way of understanding some of these issues, um, in a way that, that might be helpful for us today. Hey, can I just say something? David Dawson in the chat, I just got to this. David said, I'm, my softening of racism is a different thing from xenophobia sounds very white perspective. I'm not trying to soften anything. We have a different word for some reason. And I've, I was watching, a, somebody was talking about the differences between xenophobia and just outright racism and why there, why there can be a difference. I'm not trying to soften anything. I'm just trying to get my head around why we have different words and what the different concepts might be. So let me just clear that up right now. Yeah, I'm not trying yeah. to soften racism at all. I don't know yeah. how that came out. Yeah. Um, I think Sorry. Um, um, when we think about racism in, in America, it's, it's the way these um, uh, it's, it's the way people are racialized in discrimination against these groups, these made up groups that we have. Um, and, and while the racial groups might be made up, there's no biological evidence of any type of race. Um, race-based related differences exist because we sort of made up these groups. So that's what we're talking about with, with, with racism is how different groups of people are discriminated based on their racial identity. Xenophobia really gets at, um, painting groups of people as other and discriminating, um, against them, um, because of the, that otherizing that we sort of created. Um, they both have very horrible outcomes as we've um, experienced and, and seen example of time and time again this year. Mm-hmm. You know, Larry, I think a lot of this, um, a lot of this comes around um, a lot of the renewed violence um, and attacks against um, Asian Americans, especially Asian elders. I mean, I'm here mm-hmm. in um, one of the first big examples of it happened here in my backyard in San Francisco, um, uh, where there was an attack against an elderly Asian person and, um, only one. Well, there's, yeah, no, there's been many. Um, and a lot of this, I think this renewed xenophobia against Asian people, I think it's coming from a lot of the rhetoric around the coronavirus, around um, how people, um, how politicians have have framed the coronavirus, a lot of the rhetoric that uh, President Trump used, yeah, um, against against it, a lot of the racist, um, xenophobic language that came out of that, Um, and it's it's stoked a lot of the same um the the same thread of xenophobia against asian people that goes back into the 1800s yeah uh melanie here's making a note too that i mean there's 
Unfortunately, there's lots of ways to fear the other when you're like white colonialists coming in from Europe. Uh, and Native Americans suffered um, a lot of that, too. Whether whether you technically put it down as racism or xenophobia, wherever it's stemming from, if you it's almost like I said, all I'm trying to say is it's almost like racism is is dislike and a, and a putting down of a whole cult. Well, um Somebody, maybe it was maybe it was David mentioned that he thought maybe uh, racism is more about the perception of race. Xenophobia is about culture, but I think a lot of xenophobia is about like Asians technically look different than white people. So it's just I, it's interesting how we've had this semantics uh, thing uh, evolve. But anyway, Melanie's point here was that uh, that uh, you know First Nations Native Americans have um, suffered the same kind of uh, otherizing. You know, the, and especially when when we were less, when we were for better or for worse, when we were less uh, uh, acculturated, and when just Native American cultures were really, really, really distinct, right? Cult, uh, culture, dress, language, all the ways that you know, just daily life. The eighteen hundreds was really more distinct than than. Sadly, a lot of it due to those uh, indoctrination efforts. That um, what am I trying to say? The word. But they tried to basically erase Native American culture and uh, language and schooling and all that and um, de-ethnicize anything, um, which was a reaction to some xenophobic uh, – you with me still? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I was okay. just trying to follow up with the comments. There's a lot yeah. happening yeah. here. And, and one of the things I want to uh, pick up on here is uh, – um, just this idea of of otherizing that happens in xenophobia, um, this fear of people who are not like us, but often what happens through through policies and through propaganda and through um, language that's used, you can you can sort of turn up the dial on xenophobia, um, and and you can make make it seem like these people are more different. Um, like a certain group of people um, believes different things than you. They dress differently than you. They look differently than you. And um, again, the mo one of the most apparent examples of this, a lot of, of folks are talking about George Takei's work in, um, in talking about um, internment. And um, uh, Melanie mentioned George Takei's allegiance, which I had the joy of seeing that. Um, mm. um uh, when I lived in New York, I think it's um, going to be. Is, is is there a lot? Is there a live stream or a recorded live stream? Or it's, I thought I saw where it was coming. Maybe somebody's got information. I thought I saw where it was coming to something very accessible. Oh, uh, that would it would be great. It would be great if it um, yeah. if it does um, um, because it's it's uh, it's really wonderful. Um, um, but uh, Allegiance was. Um, I forget if he if he wrote it or if he produced it. Uh, no, Larry he wrote, Nina? It. he wrote it. He had a co-writer, but no, it's it's born out of his experience. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Allegiance is his uh, Broadway um, Broadway his, show about yeah. his experience um, uh, with internment and the what happened to um, it, this. The story really follows one family, and um, if you look at what happened during World War II. Um, you know, this is when, when xenophobia was so, um, so in your face. If you look at the propaganda against, um, Japanese people, you see this caricature of Japanese people, um, a, um, 
exaggerating features to make them look um, so not human and not like us. Right. Well, and, look, it was worked. I mean, I'm not excusing. I'm, I'm not excusing me. I'm just giving you some more context here. When you when you when all the failures of humanity fall down from one side or two sides and you wind up with a physical actual war, which changes nature over the years. Now we have a war. It's it's could very in be the very much be the end of the planet if we're not careful. But when everything else fails and you resort to war, then you're going to have extreme. You know, there's the otherizing of any enemy you have in a in a war. Nobody loves the enemy. You wouldn't be fighting them. And in in the case of like World War Two, you had Italians and Germans and Japanese and you know pr- uh, caricaturing cruelty, propaganda. You know, to fight the enemy and beat the enemy for the time of the war, going into it and coming out maybe is. I mean, there's no sympathy for an enemy. That you're fighting, so, but in the but in that case, it was especially egregious. Um, I mean, on one hand, I don't want to give anybody a pass. I'm just saying it's understandable if that's who, for whatever yeah. reason, found that way. But in this case, we had Americans who, unfortunately, because of racial, physical, visual characteristics, it's like Germans and Italians could blend in. If you knew a name, you might go grab somebody and suspect them. You know, my family's lived here for three generations. Well, we don't care. Well, you could, you know, the Germans and Italians, but Japanese, people of Asian descent stood out. And, you know, the Chinese were victims of the Japanese in World War II. They'd been invaded, the rape of Nanking and all that. And uh, in much the same way after 9-11, like Sikh people were, like anybody who looked brown and maybe vaguely Islamic, you know, in some quarters – and and to their credit, I will say this: President Bush at least tried to stem, you know, to stomp that down. But uh, as far as like American representatives of maybe the the culture, the Americanized immigrant uh, entail of that culture that might have started a war with us, but that did not happen in World War II. It's like nobody was was speaking up for the Japanese Americans, the Nisai and the Isai, and. And not only were they not speaking up for the Japanese, Americans who had been here several generations, there was a lot of, you know, sloppy, idiotic, sloppy, you know, prejudice taken out against Chinese and any other, you know, the Filipinos that had come over. I mean, we didn't have as near as much and they had excluded immigration in two different generations from Asia, Asian countries over here. So there hadn't been as but there were a lot, especially in California. And that's why that that hit so hard. With a lot of sloppy overlap for people that couldn't tell the difference between the different countries and cultures. So on one hand, it was a wartime enemy, but that's still not excused for what happened to. And, well, and, and, the, and I think what and the, what the gross stereotyping and caricaturization and yeah, demeaning. I think with with both examples you brought up with the Japanese internment and also post nine eleven time here in America, it is a good example of of xenophobia <laughs> and how xenophobia can also become racial based discrimination that is is sanctified. Um so to to kind of play that out a little bit and I've promised folks eventually we're gonna get to Star Trek. Um <laughs> with um with with the Japanese internment during World War II, the state sponsored um, uh, the state like state sponsored rounding up of Japanese Americans, American citizens, people who lived here, Americans. Um, xenophobia was at the the heart of that. This idea that 
these these Japanese American people are other that be, they might have some allegiances to Japan and the Japanese Empire, this enemy, and um, and you know, if you if you and read we tell, and heaven forbid we look at individuals and look at individual backgrounds, we're just t- going to take the whole bunch of them. It's almost like the old what is it? Shoot them all and let God sort it out kind of stupidity. I mean, it's like we'll just box them all up because we haven't got time to look at them as individuals. And the ironic – I was watching a documentary about this the other day. The ironic thing is like like Japan, the Japanese empire, had tried to find allies in the American-Japanese community like before the war, like lead, the year or two leading up to the war when they had the Pearl Harbor and the war plan going. They couldn't find I, – I mean I could be simplifying this, but basically they had tried to find willing – you know, oh, I've still got a heart for the motherland or whatever – they couldn't find. They had nobody. They were finding more American, Amer- like whites or whatever, to be. There were there were one or two Japanese spies here, but they were white people in D.C. and in the military. It was amazing. It's like they couldn't find any Japanese Americans. You know, it's like so. It was like just yeah, the yeah. What the and, fear was just not so, that that would be and, and that's, way, but and, it was like ironic. And, and that's exactly why it's, it's an example of, of xenophobia. It's, um, there was no evidence, no data for why, um, why the U.S. government should be doing anything like this. And, um, and they still did. And then you look at post 9-11 time. You mentioned, um, Larry, after, uh, after the 9-11 tax, how much, um, um, hate, um, um, hate-based attacks were happening against um, Muslim Americans or, or people that were mistaken for Muslim heritage, like the Sikh people that were attacked and murdered um, after 9-11. Um, but we also saw a, a similar state-sponsored um, state-sponsored programs that were based in xenophobia. There was a lot of FBI surveillance and also... Uh, um uh not only surveillance but infiltration of of muslim american communities yep, and yep. surveillance of mosques that were happening oh don't and worry I'm sure some aspect of the patriot act made it all okay well yeah yeah i mean that's and that's the thing that the patriot act in many ways allowed for this these xenophobic efforts that well muslims in america Mm, I don't know. We need to really monitor this group. Um, we need to look at them more closely. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's again this idea that, uh, they might be an other. They might not really have allegiance to the United States. So it's, this stuff plays out in many different times, whether it's, um, you know, are you, during the Cold War, um, right. a, a fear of, of Russians and of Soviets and communism and, and all of that. Or if you look at, um, if you look at going all the way back, like I mentioned earlier, um, the long history of, uh, xenophobic policy towards, um, towards Asians, um, We've got we got a lot of examples here, and um, I'd love to jump into the Star Trek episode, Larry. Let's. Um, <laughs> we should do that. Hey, and before we go any further, David, I see you. We're good. It's good. I I that threw me a little bit, but we're I see what you're saying, and we're all good. So, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's um there's a lot here we can talk about, and I hope um 
I hope this episode will, will sort of guide our conversation. So, Larry, can you refresh our memory a little bit about what we're dealing with here with demons and um, well, um, Terra Prime? Terra Prime. Because for a while last night, we were all saying Terra Firma, <laughs> which is a slightly different generation, a different, <laughs> different thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's, again, the underpinnings of Star Trek, we love to say, are all about, you know, anti, obviously... The, to me, the thing about Star Trek, basically, what Gene was saying in a very broadest brush was, it's one thing to have sci-fi and uh, and and have the excitement of rocket ships and ray guns and gadgets and aliens and all that, but in reality, there comes a time, you know, it's like, why don't we contact? Why don't we hear from more civilizations? What you know, there's a there's a underpinning here that any society or civilization that's going to that's going to be around long enough to be able to develop basically warp drive to be able to contact other civilizations and other systems to be, once you get to the technological ability to do that that takes a long time to develop on your own unless you <laughs> unless you have a little alien help bopping by but on your own that takes a long time and a lot of things can happen as a society civilization and in our case like one that's spread over many continents and as competing nation groups and the people don't all look alike and so that gives rise to differences and one over the other and anyway for all the reasons that some people love to yes someone's mentioned divide and conquer to climb over whatever back you know fighting over resources or about ideology or whatever religion whatever you call it and so many you know Gene was saying it's one thing to say we're going to live we're going to we're going to get out to the stars and run around and be heroic and adventuresome and scientific and ooh this is cool and geeky but in reality it, that's going to take a while and on the road to get from here to there there's all kinds of ways we could blow ourselves we could nuke ourselves up we could poison our planet we could just kill each other like allegorically like the Vulcans did that they built into Spock's backstory we almost killed ourselves because our passions and all that and and then you know the the whole Romulan um, diaspora, the split there happened, and that explains the Romulan backstory. And they were what they were. But as an allegory, and originally that was the Vulcan backstory. But for what it means for us as humans is, we don't get the Star Trek future if we don't figure it out. If we if we kill ourselves or our planet or both by whatever means. That's typical. <laughs> that may be why not every planet that's got some kind of an intelligent form, life form, is talking to each other because very few get that far. But if we can get that far, we have it in us to do that. It's just that, by example, if 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 we're having these adventures 300 years from now, the assumption must be that we conquered all this. And and the beauty of early Star Trek right. was they didn't talk about it. It was just inferred. And implied, and I love the people now that say, well, Star Trek's not political. It's like, yes, it's there. They didn't, and in a commercial, 1960s commercial, we did some Trek Files episodes about this. If you actually go back and look at the writer's guide in the Bibles of, of early Star Trek, nothing says, oh, and by the way, we've conquered prejudice and fear and hate. And it's not, but if you watch the show for any length of time, it's like, oh, well, look at this. And yeah, you do have Kirk say, hey, there's no room for prejudice on my room mystery leave it in your quarters it's implied but it for them to have that world it has to be that way just the way the same thing with the economics of it so you know yeah, that's, and i remember it, us it talking about obviously this stated later on but you know out of the gate that was something that everybody's 
that was almost like the code of Star Trek was that they didn't talk about it. Now, fans would go off and write their clunky fan stories or whatever, maybe. And it's like plastered all over everything. But everybody got it. And then when you had the the example of the Vulcans in contrast, you know, the Vulcans would say, well, we did nearly wipe ourselves out, which to a to a human watching this in the 60s was like, wow, we're all tense right now. And Vulcan actually did go there, you know. It was it was kind of like yeah. So anyway, it was. Um, I I remember us talking about this um, with our racism episode. That was now, I don't know how many episodes back that was. That was a lot of episodes. Where this is episode. Yeah, <laughs> this is today's episode forty nine. I think it was in the tens or the in the teens. Uh, we talked about racism, and I remember mentioning that um, I've got I've got mixed. I have mixed thoughts about this now. Um, now looking at it from a, um, 2021 lens where race as a concept doesn't exist in Star Trek. Um, and it's only really mentioned or in, in human culture, in human society. Um, it's only really mentioned by, um, Cisco in the, um, the episode, um, talking about Vix and going back mm-hmm. to going to Vix holodeck and, and um the Vix Hollow program and right. Captain in the Cisco 1960s. Said, yeah, in the 1960s and Cisco says uh to Cassidy, I, I don't want to go there. Like our it's you know, it's a lie. Like our people were not welcome in places like that. And um and then of course in uh Far Beyond the Stars, um uh race is uh, is talked about in that context. Um, which is still kind of outside the context of Starfleet's future. So I, I'm mixed on that because on the one hand, um, you can take that as an implication that we've overcome all of the stuff and race as a concept doesn't exist in the 24th century. Um, and so that could be, that could be a great thing that humanity has sort of overcome this. Um, and it also, it seems like race is not a barrier in Star Trek to, um, at least not in, in Starfleet to, to what you can do, what rank you can have, what roles you can serve in, that, um, race in, in this way has, has ceased to be a barrier, a part of, uh, human thinking. On the other hand, you can also see it as, um, this is sort of a blind spot in Star Trek where it hasn't really commented on on the realities of mm-hmm. race as it exists right now in in humanity and i think there's you can you can see things both ways here and again getting back to enterprise and demons and and um terra prime um they this this episode best gets at the idea of how xenophobia can does exist right now for humanity and larry if i if i remember correctly um there's a group on earth who really sees aliens as corrupting our culture our way of life and this is this is the organization called terra prime right if i remember and and i know i did send you some images i don't know if you want to throw any of these up or not but yeah so terra prime is like the nativist prejudicial group and you know it's it, it's what's interesting about this episode as i was watching it again is there had been enough you know we're all sitting here the the fan the fan backgroundists among us 
look at these like factoids to string together. And then once we've got three or four of them, it's like, oh, three points determine a plane. <laughs> it's like now that we've got these dots, we can we can we can surmise something bigger, right? Now that we've got the individual pieces. And as we've strung to, you know, World War Three was something that was not, you know, referred to on the nose. We got bits here and there and a, a line here, a line there. And in the beginning of Star Trek, they weren't even going to suppose that there was a World War Three. And even the eugenics wars weren't meant or it was vague about whether the eugenics wars were even World War Three or not or whether there was one. And eventually it got nailed down. Uh, and by the time of first contact, for sure. But um this this whole thing about the way that Terra, demons in Terra Prime, as I was looking how how Manny and Mike and the third season writer, fourth season writers were stitching this together, were taking all these disparate clues and making something of it to the point where World War Three, you know, so Zephyrin Cochran and the Phoenix. Part of the amazing thing about Earth's first warp flight was that it happened so soon after the ravages of a world war and refreshing this. In one interpretation, I don't know how it happened this long, but it like went on for – you think with nukes it would be fairly short, but it went on actually aspects over a long time. And one of the amazing stories that still has not been told as a Star Trek drama, like dramatized for film, is that point of recovering from World War III with a few visionaries who may have been capitalized, who were, <laughs> who were after the money maybe – but anyway, Cochrane and the warp engine, and then suddenly the turnaround in society, the turnaround in, oh my God, we almost wiped, you know, the, the Vulcan-like, oh my God, we almost wiped ourselves out. Let's, let's go outward. Let's get over these, you know, these bits. And Terra Prime and Demons really weave that together, especially in the scene where you've got um, Paxton watching a tape, which, you know, is like really, oh, he's watching a tape. And one thing this episode did was flesh out Colonel Green. Manny Cotto really wanted to do a lot more of it, but you've got a, an old tape from two years after the end of World War III where Colonel Green, in reacting to the damage, was talking about uh, you know, recovering from the war and, and his otherism was getting going. And then you got Paxton, like almost 100 years later, watching this old clip and finding something that he was terrified about, which was Earth opening up not just to Vulcans but to – other species and some people excitedly doing that where some people you've it seems like any step forward you've got reactionaries not comfortable with that which is what yeah. hits home today and in that case paxton and the terra prime which had apparently been around long enough for the sad the manchurian candidate young kid uh you know the the, the one in the midst ensign masaro if he'd been that way for several years if he'd been part of this group for several years it sounded like Terra Prime had been around for for many years. It wasn't just a Paxton thing that he came up with. And if it had been around for a decade or two, that whole this whole thing about Starfleet reaching out, I mean, we had first contact for 100 years. And there was the official line about the Vulcans holding us back and some humans chafing at that, you know, a lot of and that was the drama of Enterprise in the beginning. But then they were moving past that. And to Paul especially was moving past it, and they'd even help the Vulcans find themselves. <laughs> they'd even help, you know, reconstruct the original Vulcan movements and uncover some cover-ups that were causing them. You know, there's all this global or, or interstellar politics going on, but back on Earth, they're stuck a hundred years ago worrying about change and the attack of the. Here's an external thing that had nothing to do with this movement, but the Zindi attack was what they would cite as the wake-up call. 
But even then, they would go back. Paxton and his bunch would go back a hundred years and look at the, the the way the Vulcans kind of you know were patriarch were patriarchy um, or being parental about doling out little bits at a time of of warp and other technology. So that whole thing of well, you kept us behind. So it was almost like a little bit of the stab us in the back. You know, kind of the conspiracy theory here of all the things, everything that's egregious mixed in with with just things we don't like. And so you've got this one guy who is in a powerful enough position to help spread this toxicity around and grab other people. So there were all the elements of this, including the one guy in the workplace who's kind of down there proselytizing and, you know, rabble rousing the mob, whatever's uh, grief or not grief, green or whatever his name (laughs) was. Griner, Greener, whatever his name was. But anyway, it was like that token scene of the guy at the workplace, you know, who's like rabble rousing and getting everybody, you know, riled up. And you've got the one guy, Tucker's in the back going, what is this guy? What? Like, what? What? But every he's weaving it. It's like Voyager conspiracy. He's weaving all these, you know, like, you know, dots together in a weird way. But it's making sense in the moment, unexamined. Um, anyway, it was just a great, it was a great episode. And then the the reveal, and it's almost like there was too much because some of the things were just coming out like, oh my god, oh my god. And the final reveal that Paxton is has got a has got a chronic illness, a genetic defect, and he's using a treatment that came from from the Regilians. You know, it's like the ultimate hypocrisy, but he's got to cover it up because he's got this his his uber message of humans first, get rid of the other. And we'll be pure, which is very, you know, Nazi Hitlerian there. But but at the same time, he's such a, you know, Hitler was actually Austrian, which is German adjacent, but he wasn't even German. You know, it's like he's here's Paxton taking a cure from from an alien culture. And she exposes that. And he's like, well, go ahead. By now, I've got so many people enraptured in what I'm saying. They'll just ignore you, which gets us back to whether you take whether you take a vaccine or not and whether people will go I it's just it's just watching it now with 15 years more um texture to it it's just just amazing but all the little basic building blocks of your standard you know hate campaign against another group and and exclude trying to exclude the other here we think about star trek progressing down that alien path but there, you know, and the fact that there's always reactionaries there's been other groups too on other pl- other groups and other plants, we can talk about that later. But anyway, that's that's what I loved well, about um, it. One, in two hours, they seem to have all the building – the classic building blocks that we can go back and look in history. There was yeah, like a moment yeah. for – There's so many great pieces. Including the worship stuff. of the guy that had been like disgraced 100 years ago, but suddenly 100 years later, we're going to look at him in new eyes and decide he was right after all. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Phil Phil said the humans in the bar giving flocks a hard time was very close to reactions after 9-11. <laughs> and so if you look at um, – I remember that scene that was, really well, um, Phil. Yeah. I mean it's um, – That was um, back home I think when they first got back. Yeah, I mean right? yeah. the, the experience of uh, – of Muslim Americans and, and again people who were targeted as – as having um, similar ancestry or connections. So as, again, as you said, Sikh um, <clears throat> Americans as well, 
Um, it, it was a it was a very scary time for us post 9-11. And that bar scene does really capture some of the fear. Um, I mean, I, there's many times in my life, Larry, when I've been told to go back to where I came I from. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying you want me to go back to San Jose, California? Like, what do you what do you like? What are you talking about? Um, but that that scene. Oh captures a lot of that experience and that's that's a great example and the other one i want to mention too um you were kind of talking about purity which came up and and this is something that often occurs with xenophobia this idea that other groups are going to um uh, be impure they're going to bring problems um you know before before the coronavirus we were talking about um um how much uh, in America, again, I know we have a global audience and I want to, I want to cat, um, phrase, frame this as, um, this is something that was very much going on in America, but we're talking about refugees as, as bringing, uh, bringing their problems to America. Yes. That like these groups of people are, they just weigh us down. They bring crime. They bring all these problems, which is again, all of that rhetoric was framed in xenophobia. Yeah, overload but, our system, our economy. We can't accept that. Yeah, we don't have right. the jobs. And, we don't have the welfare. Yeah, and a lot of that was happening in in other parts of the world as well. Um, so it's that um, that it seems like a long time ago, Larry, but that was not, and we're still dealing with that right now. We're still dealing with um, a lot of very um, xenophobic rhetoric uh, around the refugee crisis we have in the United States um, related to what's happening in Latin America. Um, but a, a lot of this does come back down to that idea of like purity and whether it's World War II and Hitler or whether it's the Chinese Exclusion Act that I talked about earlier uh, and the Page Act that view that that presented Asian um, and especially Asian women I, as a threat. Yeah, that they are going to in some way corrupt our culture. They are going to make our, our culture impure, which we see in um, in Terra Prime. We see that as a as a consistent theme. These aliens are going to take away our independence, our agency, our culture. We're not even going to be humans anymore, Larry. You know, we're all going to be these like half breeds. Humanity is doomed. It's the same crap. We Dogs hear, and cats oh. living together. <laughs> A Ghostbusters reference. Uh, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I don't think we've been like tied down and and stick a pin on it. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, I mean, this is, this is hard stuff to talk about because it's also, um, um, not only is it hard to have conversations around this and, you know, we're, we, we're clumsy and it's hard and sometimes we misspeak and, and all of that can bring anxiety around talking about this stuff. But, you know, for people who have, um, have experienced this and have lived through this and continue to be impacted by this, it can be quite um, traumatic to have these conversations. Um, you know, I've um, this week, I've had a lot of conversations um, with um, Asian American friends who um, are just so <laughs> someone said, I don't know if my exhaustion is from the pandemic is from gun violence, 
is from um, the racial attacks, the xenophobic attacts. Uh, it's from um, just the intergenerational trauma of all this stuff. Like it's, it can be very hard to have these conversations. Or the guilt is... that we've all stopped screaming about global warming and climate change. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many reasons right now, right, to be so mm. exhausted and done with all of this. And um, this is why we hope that Star Trek can at least give us a lens, a way of connecting, a way of understanding, a way of working through this. What, what, some, someone mentioned this in the comments, and I want, um, I'll, I'll eventually find out who said it, but it was early on. Someone is talking about Star Trek Picard and how Starfleet gets back to a xenophobic place mm-hmm. in Star Trek Picard. And I know there's some reaction to that about how can we do this? How can we get to, back to that place? Or you see um, the well, burn in Star Trek Discovery. Like, how can we How can we let things get so bad? Which, again, reminds me of another DS9 episode. Um, um, the Great... Um, past the great tense. Two, what? Past tense, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which was in the comments, too. Yeah, uh, Glenn which, which someone okay. mentioned, yeah. yeah. I think Star Trek Picard is a reminder for us. It's a warning that um we can we can easily fall back into xenophobic um uh attitudes and practices and policies and w- what happens with starfleet in the future in in the star trek picard era is um you know the romulans are very much in a state of disarray mm-hmm. and how they got to that place, whether Starfleet sees this as a potential political benefit to them, or they honestly just, because of existing xenophobia, they don't want to open their borders to the Romulans. How can we trust them? How can we let them in? They're going to use all of our dilithium. Um, you can't trust a Romulan. Whether it's those attitudes that forced, uh, that led Starfleet to not open up their borders. I mean, it's bad enough that this is why Picard resigns from Starfleet. So I, I think Star Trek Picard is a bit of a warning that, um, this isn't just a Star Trek Enterprise pre-Federation Earth mm-hmm. issue. This is something within us, this in-group, out-group bias, this, well, yeah. this easy vulnerability to like our group and dislike other people, dislike people who are not in our group, this is something we need a constant vigilance against because we can always fall back into these these traps. Well, and look at it this way. Not Again, we, I'm trying to be structural here and analytical, not excuse anything. But whether we're talking about real life or we're looking at our Star Trek examples, a lot of times this xenophobia comes out of a stressed society a stress situation and people are downtrodden and and some of them are just trying to get if people are really under the gun about something there's been a natural resource shortage there's been an economic collapse there's been the aftermath of war and destruction i mean look what ha- you know look after after world war 1 the the rot of nazism was allowed to grow because people the the winners of world war 1 didn't care about the losers, which was Germany and the German debt, the you know the the stabbed in the back uh, myth that the German army surrendered 
because of its officers and the actual German soldier, which is fine. And it was the, you know, the international Jewish community and the other countries around the world that, that betrayed us and our own people. Anyway, Hitler played on all of that to get sympathy because they were in, they were, they were in like, there was a bad depression and then the bottom totally fell out because Germany was paying back reparations to the other countries. And even though the US and Britain and the worldwide depression was hitting everybody badly, it was like horrible in Germany. And that was the festering place where, you know, like 1933, FDR and Hitler both came to power from very different means. And there was even a coup attempt against FDR. More about, you know, uh, or a, a plot anyway, the Smedley Butler thing that he helped put down. But the point here is that when societies are stressed and people are hurting, one of the ways people get through their hurt is to try to find scapegoats and find reasons, right? Sometimes the reality is just too complicated or it's too obvious, and they'd rather have a simple – this is when we get into the whole conspiracy theory thing. But people would rather have easy answers, and maybe conspiracy theories are crazy you know, webs that are spun out. Xenophobia is like, let's just blame everything on <laughs> this group. Like, let's just keep this simple. I don't have a brain for conspiracy theories. I'm just going to make up a couple of wacky thoughts and, and blame this group. But out of the depression, you had that. Out of 9/11, you had that. Here, it was the it was the Zindi. It was people that even if they're not doing so badly now, like Paxton was well off. He owned this. He was a big corporate. Whatever that looked like, pre-replicators taking over. It sounded like there was still some commerce going on here at this time, but he wasn't under stress. He was a he was a well off guy and had come to these conclusions. And we and we see that in real life. So anyway, it's just like anytime there's been a group that's that's the bottom has fallen out of them for them economically, you know, whatever. Uh, they've been bombed into non-existence. That you know, you see the extreme. The Taliban after the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, and you've got they had a civil society, but it was like bombed back to the Stone Age, and you had an extremist group take over. The Taliban were otherists, but you know, you've it's around the world. It's not just an American thing. And then in Star Trek, think of remember the Circle on Bajor that wanted to get rid of Starfleet right. and all aliens. The ba right. the Circle. I mean, it can come out of anywhere. The Bajorans were coming out of Cardassian occupation. And there was a reactionary movement, the, the circle. The the Romulans are that way about AI because of the Jat Vash. But, I mean, every right. all the Star Trek civilizations have at one time the, – the Cardassians had the true way, right? Um, Gowron had a, had, a, had a xenophobic streak when he couldn't believe that the Cardassians might want peace. Turned out it was being spread by a changeling Martok. Spoiler, and they have but, a whole culture. Uh, the whole yeah. the whole change in yeah. culture is, is based so, on but xenophobia. I mean, so it, you know, it's it's been a you know, it's just as a storytelling device. It's been a, a sad, useful tool as a storytell you know, and and a metaphor on humanity, like all good Star Trek. But it's like yeah. it's not just this. Yes, it's not just demons and Terra Prime. If we stop and think about it, everybody's. I mean, you had it in like the the Vulcans were suffering. Well, the Vulcans have a little snootiness anyway when they don't watch it, but. <laughs> The whole the whole conflict between the Vulcans being manipulated by Romulan interference against themselves, right? And and the Serenites and the original pure uh, thinkers behind Sarek's original teachings that were had been banished to the desert, right? Yeah. Right. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah. So yeah, anyway, it's no, like it's right. a theme that pops up all over the place in Star Trek, but Terra Prime hits home to us because we're watching 
It's like we're watching a replay it, it, of all the worst aspects of the 20th and 21st century are being it, it played se- out. It seems the closest to us now. Um, but um, it, it's the closest to us now in terms of our culture and where we're at. But in, um, you know, David said a little bit earlier that um, Trek is best when it holds up a mirror um, to our real life. And Picard made a lot of people uncomfortable, I think, because of what it reflected back to us um, about where we've been lately. Picard was really reflecting back a lot of the discrimination and xenophobia against refugees and a desire to close up those borders and and to to not help other people who might be in a dire state um for a variety of reasons and i also want to give credit i i do think it was tim uh thank you tim who made that reference to starfleet regressing back and um these are things that we we need to constantly be um be on guard for and these are things that we can constantly um fall back into these um these patterns um yeah larry the all those examples you gave like when you actually lay them all out this is a constant theme we keep running into and um this is i think if if we ever um see an uh, example of first contact in our own life um with an alien species um this is going to be one of the biggest problems to overcome is uh, many of us will not see them as like us um and well, we we only have to look at on our how own that history plays out i don't i don't know that we'll actually get vulcans in real life <laughs> i don't but... think we'll get vulcans they're not going to look almost like us except the ears and the haircut um yeah. although the haircut <laughs> depending on where you're coming from um it, you only have to look at <laughs> you only have to look at um our own examples of first contact between cultures um mm-hmm. in on earth not really they haven't life. gone well um yeah. they typically do not go well and it <laughs> is not only is it the challenge of communication and language but um uh, especially if you look at uh, the american history here and you mentioned mm-hmm. um uh native american and uh, the the encounters were usually one in which who was really um, spreading the disease there yeah right yeah the colonists who came over typically did not see um the native american populations as being equal um and um horrific horrific <laughs> events continued i mean the seeds bear them from starvation yes the seeds of uh, the Trail of Tears and the genocide against the native the native people of 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 America really started with those episodes of first contact here. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this is a this is a big problem. And uh, there was a lot of folks that were mentioning Voyager episodes actually, where there was a lot of um, xenophobia targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, oh yeah, the uh, uh, targeting um, Voyager. Yeah, like the the. Oh, I've gone blank on them, but the ones that targeted uh, telepath It's like when there was a fear. Some of these things stem out of irrational, like the first time you hear about something. Oh, you know, the, who was it? The, um, sh- oh God, somebody's going to know it. Somebody's probably already said it. But yeah, the, the, um, <laughs> the culture that, fe- that was, that was fearful and, and uh, they were, they were otherwise fairly sane. A little fascist, but they were fairly sane until it came to telepaths, and then they were like, "Right, manic." Right. Um, 
I was going to say sometimes when I was talking about a society or a culture being stressed or being, you know, like, you know, um, uh, basically being blown up, like the bottom's falling out and they're under stress. And sometimes, sadly, like people in their discouragement, they're trying to scrabble and survive. And so it's like if they have one tenth of a brain left over to get through basic survival, they want to know why why this is happening or who do we blame for this or whatever. And sometimes it's it naturally arises. And I'm going to say sometimes it's some smart, you know, cagey mirror universe Daffy Duck walks in to figure out how they can gain from they don't have to introduce divide and conquer. There's something already there to divide people over. They just walk in and you know they whip it up, they weaponize it. Yeah, and they well, make something they they make. Somebody's just, you know, it's bad enough that there's a group that's discouraged, that's downtrodden, but to walk in and then take that at, at, for your own engine of of power, to, to, you know, to weaponize that and whip people up in a frenzy and use their energy, their negative energy that you've helped create to further your own ends over them or over anybody else. That's, uh, that's, that's I'm like glad you mentioned that, Larry. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's that's something I wanted to to emphasize here. I mean, Paxton um, here seemed Paxton seemed almost internally driven, and knowing that he was not if not dying, at least he was afflicted. He almost seemed like the martyr suicide guy here. Yeah, Scott said uh, xenophobia can definitely be the result of a stress culture looking for a convenient so- scapegoat. It's easier to blame the other people instead of looking hard at your own economic and racial system. Yeah. yeah, you were talking about absolutely. Um the the economic pressures of on Germany post World War 1 resulted in a lot of um Hitler taking advantage of that yeah. and a lot of um, anger po- pointing at these other groups um at Jewish people at um at, at, at in particular the international Jewish bankers who are holding they, us down. They were the cause. You know, they were the cause of this. And this is a classic totalitarian tactic uh, to bol- uh, coalesce all of the anger frustrations that a society has and give them all a con- common enemy. And I am the one who will defeat this enemy. Um, again, we saw this with the previous uh, administration here in the United States and in, in targeting different different groups and painting them as as un-American. Um, this is well, a this is a classic the move. The dog. <laughs> yeah, Larry. This trouble, is. So I'll cause a distraction over here and get us all focused on that. And if I can channel everybody's whatever you know the, the upside of that the worst case of that is it's not just a distraction it's like a really weaponized hate-filled distraction i mean yeah yeah and this is this is really weaponizing a very very basic element of our uh, psychology I've, I've mentioned it in previous episodes but the in-group out-group um bias we always like our own group even when scientists have randomly assigned people to different groups and told them i am randomly placing you in these different groups and those groups then have to work together people like their groups better just because they're in them and this (laughs) this very basic thing whether it's star trek star wars sci-fi fantasy you know america mexico or whatever america uh, uh san francisco giants and the oakland a's like Whatever groups you align with, 
Yankees uh, Red Sox. Yes. Yankees Red Sox. Yeah, it's um this is a very basic thing in our psychology. And sometimes it can be used for fun, like the Yankee Red Sox, and sometimes it can be weaponized for hate, like we saw with World War II, um, both in the United States and also in, in Germany and, and other places. So this is, um, the, I think constant vigilance is, is one of the things to remember here, because it, um, it comes up again and again in Star Trek, and it comes up again and again in our own real lives. And so there are, um, there's a few things we need to look out for, which maybe it's a good time, Larry, for us to jump into the counselor's log. Maybe we should talk yeah, about, move along. Yeah. Yeah, because I know you've got a big K3 for us today that, that we want to make sure we have the time for. I, I can for. clip through it, but yeah, we'll look at Yeah. Yeah. So um, the counselor's log, this is uh, the part of the show where I dive a little bit deeper into what we're talking about here today. And That's I just want to structure, guys, for you. Yeah. <laughs> um we do have a structure um and i just want to thank everyone um we should just uh jason apparently is a red sox fan um jason i got i have no uh i've uh, I'm, I'm nowhere in this fight um no, red no sox Yankees. yeah no no i have none um i when it comes to sports the only thing i ever followed was football when i was young and i'm a 49ers fan and that's about it um, I got no, uh, no dog in this, uh, is it, what's the expression, Larry? No dog, no in, dog this in this hunt. Yeah. No dog in this hunt. Yeah. I just want, as hunt. my shirt says, just, uh, I just want us all to be kind. <laughs> just, I just want us all to be a, a little idic. Um, <clears throat> oh, little... you mean not just rewind. You mean, okay. <laughs> Boy, I mean, that's not that old of a reference. I guess, uh, I guess people might remember that. Uh, be I've kind, rewind. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just want to thank everyone in the comments section for, um, people have been sharing a lot about their own experiences, what their families have gone through, what they've gone through. I know this is, these kind of conversations are hard to have. They're emotional ones. They're clunky ones. But I, I, I think the, the clunkiness difficulty is important and worth it because we need to be having these conversations. And, um, just thank you to, uh, yeah, Charlotte, this is a shirt from, uh, Chase's anti-bullying campaign. Um, from time to time, I've done a little bit of work with, um, with Chase with, uh, the Pop Culture Hero Coalition, um, which I think it says on the back of the shirt. Yeah, there it is. Maybe you can see that. Oh, um, see, it's a whole. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for that, because I'm having a whole thing right now about designing T-shirts. But anyway, and, and <laughs> when to do it, and not to do it. Yeah, if so. anyone's interested, check out Pop Culture <laughs> Hero Coalition. That's Chase Masterson's uh, organization. Um, that began uh, as purely anti-bullying, but now they've yep. spread their wings a little more to include to things like we're talking here: racism, yep. xenophobic, and yeah. Um, Chase played because they're, uh, they're school focused. They're looking Chase, at getting to kids yep. young. Um, Chase played Lita in Star Trek Deep Space Nine and has been, um, is just a real lovely, fantastic person who, um, is trying to make the world, um, a kinder, more peaceful place. So yeah, please check out her work. She's, she's really wonderful. Uh, a wonderful person. Um, um, yeah. So, so thank you for this conversation. And, uh, and we know it's hard. We know it's, it's hard to have this conversation. It's it's clunky, but um, I'm glad we're having it. Um, I guarantee we're gonna have a very different episode next week. Um, next week's our fiftieth episode, Larry. It's the gonna be clunkier. It is. Wait, what? Next week is our fiftieth. It is. 
Why was we I are... not told of this? <laughs> I faxed you a memo. I didn't fax you oh. a memo. I transported a pad to you. Um, okay. You should. I, I know you got a lot of pads in front of a you. A whole there. stack you of pads. Yeah. That's how busy. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, so I've got um I got something I wanted to say about this. So um the thing I wanted to talk about here is uh, for us to be a little bit more I mentioned being constantly vigilant against xenophobia and one of the things I always always um am looking out for is dehumanization. Um this is one of those things whenever we paint another group as less than us it's um it's one more step towards uh xenophobia and we the most extreme example of this is uh or i should say the most emotional in your face example of this is um is wartime propaganda you can see caricatures that um you can see this um both of japanese People during World War II, both of Japanese people, but also German people, um, were really presented in propaganda as, um, as less human, as a threat, as, um, as a villain. Almost, it's almost cartoonish. And, um, it's important to see that because it's not like wartime's over and all those attitudes go away. No, it's like that there was um, a coordinated effort to paint certain people as being um, less than human. And the reason that happens is whenever we do that, whenever we dehumanize a group of people, it's it becomes very easier to ignore their plight, to justify violence against them, um, to to create policies that discriminate against um, against those those people, and while it's very obvious with things like World War II and World War II propaganda, it's less obvious in modern day. So, um, if we look at the last just the last year, Larry, if we look at the pandemic, um, whether or not someone was calling this the coronavirus epidemic or um, COVID nineteen which are largely more neutral words. We had a president in the United States who was calling it the Wuhan virus, the, the China virus. Um, and those are very subtle ways that take us more towards xenophobia. And there are other uh, politicians in the United States that were saying more xenophobic things. And, these attitudes, again, it's, it's weaponizing this thing that's inside of us, the in-group, out-group bias, that makes it so much easier for people to discriminate, attack, kill people who might, um, who might, uh, be the target of that xenophobia. So the, the counselor's log today is, it's very, very simple because I think this is something I want us all to always be vigilant against is um, language images ideas that might be um, that might be dehumanizing a group, making a group appear to be less than you less. And, and racism does this, too. Um, you know, my feel I'm a psychologist and 
uh, in the 1900s and early, early 20, um, um, early 20th century, there was a lot of what's called scientific racism, which yeah. was psychology trying to prove that there was, uh, there was real differences be- behind, um, intelligence behind different racial groups like measuring Spo- skull sizes and brain capacity oh, phrenology yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. that's phrenology which happened even before which is doing the same thing um larry the, the the research on that stuff was so stupid there was a certain set of studies that found that white people have faster reaction times um on these intelligence tests that were already culturally biased and right. that was po- that was like evidence that why people are more intelligent because they're reacting smarter. But then a few years later, there was research that came out that showed, well, white people on this other test have slower reaction times. And then um, the, 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 the explanation for that is, well, white people are more methodical in their thinking. They're not as impulsive <laughs> as, so it's like, this is, this is the ridiculousness that, um, that my field had a lot of, um, inherent racism and uh, like this is something we always need to be on guard against is any time mm-hmm. we are making one group seem less than because of our language because of our policies because of our propaganda that gets us on the course for terra prime that gets us on the course for excluding romulan refugees that takes us away from those federation ideals um, the idea of it and all the things that we love about Star Trek so much. So it's a very simple counselor's log, but I hope people are always on the lookout for what are we saying or doing that might be dehumanizing one group. Um, yeah. And so, so much stuff is done. I mean, like, I'm still kind of reeling from the idea that the word that the that gypsies and that term about I'm going to gyp you, you know, don't gyp me on this or whatever is a racist turn about the yes. Romans. And it's like, I'm sorry, this was all ancient history. I'm like, so do we have to like rename the musical Gypsy and Gypsy Rose Lee? Does she have to change her name after she's been, I don't know. It's, it's, it's but it's, it's part of that thing about if there's no, uh, you know, if there's no malice in their heart, can there be any in your words when you were like ignorant, but it, there is certain, a certain thing to passing along or at what point are we a thousand years out of something that it's no longer, hurtful or racist or xenophobic it's no longer damaging i i that's a big that's a big question but um i i want to go jump back so i think kyle jacobs maybe a new a new uh, name in our community today so hi kyle but he had a point here he said has the internet aided in the diminishment of xenophobia with the spread of information or has that spread helped spread the hate even more like I think the answer is both. That would be the great, you know, the great information yeah. boost and equalizer. But it's turned out that, and I don't know if it's the internet or if it's the social media algorithms that that spread the toxicity. I think the basic thing of internet, and you could go look up anything and halfway trust it, or you could at least check check the sourcing, was a great boom. And then it took 10, 15, 20 years for people to figure out how to weaponize it and dark side it and. Um, yeah, it's um I think what the internet has shown us is a lot of good, a lot of bad and a lot of neutral, but uh one of the lessons is just information alone is not enough 
to overcome these problems. Um, there's harder context work. Context is not for kings. <laughs> yeah, we. I talked more about how to overcome some of the some of these biases in our in our racism episode, but it's information alone is it's not enough. Um, we need extended contact, and we also need um, policies and structures in place that that um, overcome some of these problems. And the thing about the internet is, it can both um, it it can be a force for good, especially in terms of look. I, I don't think we would have had the racial reckoning um, in the United States in 2020 if it wasn't for the internet, if it wasn't for the video of uh, George Floyd's death. Well, going I, viral iPhone cameras um, and iPhone yeah. cameras, you know, all. So on the one hand, um, <laughs> it has made it easier for communities to connect and for information to flow. At the same time, it's made it easier for communities to connect and information to flow. And we see this with the rise of, of neo-Nazi groups and um, the way uh, terrorist groups like ISIS have been able to target uh, people who are alone, isolated, and marginalized, and and radicalize them through coordinated propaganda. Um, the internet has has both been um, um, a wonderful thing and a horrible thing, and it's going to take us a lot of a long time to um, to work through some of this stuff. Um, yeah, I've been reading. Phil says the uh, the internet was supposed to make us smarter, but then they let us start writing on it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Phil, I've been reading, let me make sure I get the book right. Um, and by reading, I mean audiobooks, because that's the only thing I do nowadays. Um, A World Without Email um, by Cal Newport. Um, he previously wrote about deep work and all of this sort of stuff. Um, if anyone's really frustrated by email, this is a great book to read, A World Without Email. But he talks a lot about some of the problems we've seen I about I don't care technology. what they say, I won't lay in a world without the internet okay sorry <laughs> speaking of uh larry sharing wonderful things with us larry let's open up the k3 factor um this is the part of the show where we do some deep dive into canon and stories in right. front of the camera and right. behind the scenes that you might not be right. aware of right 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 which is you know my thing it's what my doctorate is in yeah. uh all things trek land and I, I before i start i want to say one more yell i'm getting i'm staying up with the chat better today Hey, Nathaniel, thank you. It was count. I was trying to think of the uh, the telepath hating species. I think there was more than one, but the one I'm really thinking about is Kashyyyk. It was the Devor Imperium. It was the episode Counterpoint on Voyager. So there we go. I hate right. I hate leaving right, things right. Un, unbuttoned like that. Uh, no, this and I let me get. I have a lot here, so I have this list. So guys and gals, um, so our theme this week is uh, xenophobia. Terra Prime was the was the focus episode. And K3, we always, you know, I go backstage. I try to do a deep dive on that end of things because everyone knows what the, or should know, what the episodes themselves, as you could watch on a screen, you know that. So that's that's what we do at Trekland is is dive deep and bring you more texture. Um, so I was trying to find a real world case of xenophobia backstage in Star Trek at any era. And I know it's there somewhere. <laughs> People are human, and there's a lot. There's hundreds of people that have worked on Star Trek over the years. Just because I wasn't standing next to a case of that happening, and I'm, I'm sure it had to have happened because there's a divert. It's L.A. There, are, you know, and, and Toronto now. Uh, Toronto. No, I'm kidding. 
um, there's a diversity of people and a diversity of industry folks, and you, not everybody's a perfect human. Sorry, Gene. Not everybody's a perfect human in the, <laughs> in the 20th century or the 21st, and we're not there yet. But I really gave up trying to find – I mean there's a couple of things I, that pointed me toward a couple of situations, not as clear-cut as either the crap we've been dealing with this last week or, or the Terra Prime plot. So I, what I wanted to do this week was really kind of turn this around a little bit just on its side and still be in the same realm. There's been so much focus under the guise of xenophobia because what's brought this to the fore is the, this hate crime rise with, with, with the virus, the pandemic against a, a, AIPs, um, uh, or AAPI, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, uh, and all Asian, not just East Asia, South Asia, the whole, the whole shebang. And I saw this last week, so I've got that big grid picture. Yes. I don't know. I don't, are you able to see my t- – like when I number them, are you able to follow that? Yeah, yeah. That- it really helps, Larry. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. I didn't know if by the time you were doing this that, that no, those I'm were No, I'm putting lost. up the image right now. So the, I saw somebody else came up with this. There's even a few more faces that somebody – other people pointed out here. So here's like the great wall of regulars, one-off guest stars, a, a ton of great um, all-Asian backgrounded actors, ethnic Asians that have been on a part of the great tapestry of Star Trek's diversity <laughs> that have won awards over the years. And that's great. And, you know, but my point here is that the camera-facing uh, Asian background, Asian-American, and maybe Asian-Canadian, I don't know. Um, but all the actors, large roles, small roles, from George forward, um, that's the easiest part to know. So if you're if you have an order, I want to I want to mention a couple others. Now he says yeah. Hawaiian, and I'm not sure quite his lineage, but I know his folks have been around. He's a second or third generation American, but everybody knows Mike Okuda, and um, and it's just hard to think. It's just you hurt. I love Mike. We we talk more on internet now back throwing progressive lobs back at each other now more than now that we ever got to do we were under a paycheck and everybody had to be just put out the star trek and don't be political but you know everybody loves mike and and mike and denise but um mike's one of the more visible uh people of asian descent that have worked on star trek um more recently justin lynn was a director on uh beyond he has the whole franchise you know fast and furious and all that and he's a big name. And again, these are some of the more familiar names. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, let's go on to the next one. So mm-hmm. this is a guy that I've never had the I mean, I hope I can track him down to talk to him sometime. But I always loved his name in the early Next Generations. But an, uh, one of the alternating first assistant directors for the first couple of years of Next Generation was a gentleman who's still working, uh, Babu Subaranian. <laughs> and I, you know, I he was there. Then uh, on down, somebody I do know, haven't talked to him in a long time, but this is a bunch of the lower level, this group picture with the surfboard, or the three of them, I think. There's a whole lot of them um, in the in the visual effects community, but David Takamura, who's there on one side, has really gone on to have a great career. He kind of came in as an intern with Star Trek in visual effects. He's doing all kinds of incredible things. Uh, the next one is a friend of mine. I haven't talked to him in ages, but then I haven't talked to anybody in ages, so I should stop saying that. Um, Alan Kobayashi was a, one of one of the great members, one of the very patient members of the art department eventually who worked on Babylon 5 and worked on movies and things. But he'd been waiting for a slot to open up, and finally 
into Voyager and into Enterprise, he got to work on Star Trek. But Alan's a great guy and a great visual artist. Uh, this is him at his desk during Enterprise days, you can tell. Uh, another one, um, both genders here. This is a great shot of uh, Arlene Fukai, who was a second assistant director. I almost put more of her because she goes back to late Next Generation all the way to the end of Enterprise. And she was one there that wasn't 18 years, but she had easily 12 or 13 years in with with the show as a second assistant director and a first toward the end, climbing the ladder. So I've run through that litany of, 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 of folks just to remind us behind the scenes as well as in front of the great rich tradition here that Asian-Americans, those of Asian descent, uh, have brought to the industry, much less here just in Star Trek. But there's one here, and some people know this story, um, and sadly he's no longer with us, but I've, I've got a several here. So if you want to – there's a sketch of the tricorder because it has a very big signature at the bottom, Wa Chang. Wa was a Chinese immigrant when he was a young boy, had a mother, uh, family, um, very talented, amazingly innately talented artist, designer, creative thinker. So much so, it's like when you see people who are who had a who had a downtrodden background. It's like you know they had to be uber talented and uber amazing because somehow they got themselves out of their original life situation. And went on, but he's not widely famous. We're trying to make him more so. But basically, Wa, um, <laughs> there's one big. You have the big panel of like almost like the actors panel. I've yeah, I've got. Okay. Um, yeah. If you're unless you're a student of Star Trek backgrounding, here's a here's a panel of all the original series pioneering aspects: the the communicator, phaser, tricorder, Spock's harp, the lyrette. Okay, you got that panel up. Yes, it's on okay, guys, being displayed gals, right now. All of these things were designed by a man named Wa Chang. Wan Ming Chang. And you never heard of him unless, unless you're really a student of Star Trek background. Um, he was a Chinese immigrant. He worked with George Powell. He actually – I've got a picture of him and George Powell winning a 1960 Oscar with their group. Yeah, for I'm uh, pulling the it up right now. Yeah, yeah, the black and white. That's George yeah. Powell, the great director, the stop-motion guy. His team that he put together for a few years uh, included um, uh, Wa there. Uh, this was for the time machine when visual effects, uh, special effects were a lot simpler, and they just called it special effects. There's one there of him much older. He died in 2003, I believe. Him and his communicator, or a communicator yeah, there, the older put, one. Yes. Uh, putting that up right now. Yeah. The thing was, in back in the day in the 60s, he, he'd had his own company, he worked with other people. He he designed a lot of the monster creature things for uh, for the Outer Limits. That's how Bob Justman knew Wa. The point was, if you know your original series lore, the the Desi. I mean, here's Matt Jeffries designing, but they had to be built, and the prop shop at Desi Lu was just not up to the task. I mean, you know, if if Lucy needed a gag, something they could do that, but doing <laughs> the stuff they needed for for Star Trek was just not up to the snuff that Gene and and Bob Justman and the group wanted. And Bob knew him, and they had to concoct to get around union rules, and I'm very pro-union, but the system was not going to yield what they needed for Star Trek. And Bob Justman turned around, and they, they came up with – they hacked up a thing for Wa to be able to provide them things and not violate any union rules. But all of these – those things you saw from the alien costumes to the Romulan helmets to the basic props, the iconic items of Star Trek – or all was, and it wasn't so much that he was Chinese origin, 
if it, it was more the structure, the economic structure. But you have to think that systemically, not because of Desi Lu or Gene or anything or anybody at Star Trek, but over the years, over the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, Wall was so talented. He got to use his talents. He got to share an Oscar. But had he not been Chinese, he probably would have been much more able to take his talents out and be known for that. So that he wasn't a, an enigma today. Still, even though a lot more people now know about him and we've tried to publicize his story. But still, I bet a lot of people on the on the on the live with us today had no idea who Wa Chang was or what he had done. I, I've, I've never heard. Oh, Larry, good. I've never heard his name before. And I'm, I'm just putting up that image. Saying your ignorance has inspired me to keep on. OK, yeah, <laughs> this image of I'm putting up this grid again from the Gorn to the tricorder to uh, the very first alien we ever see in the pilot um of of Star Trek the pilot with um with uh Shatner um yeah i mean this is um this is this is the original series this grid <laughs> is the original it's all the iconic imagery of the original series um the fact that i don't know his name is um Yes. Um, it, All right. It it really um it really it, it one on the one hand it really bums me out that um I don't know the name of someone who created so much well, of the lasting not, legacy. Yeah, don't, don't kick right? yourself too much. Yeah. No, I know, I know. But um and you gotta think that um that here uh xenophobia and, and these kind of the more structural stuff at play is why right. i know about again jeffries and star i don't trek know about out, yeah star trek reached out to him and used him and found a way to use his talent but the fact that he couldn't be published they couldn't publicize and right. hey while we're at right. it let's talk about the little chinese ladies that would do all the repairs on costumes and create costumes because uh because their budget was so tiny and again, because of using studio resources back in the day, that Bill Tice had a little army of little Asian women who would do things and they would get, literally would get it over the transom. Like, here's a bundle of wardrobe. Here's a bundle of laundry. Here's a bundle of alterations and repairs. They didn't have a I mean, even on the next gen, the Berman era, there's like there's like six, eight, ten wardrobe ladies and some a couple of guys. But it's like there was at least an army of them that would sew and repair and you know and do the wash every day. The sixties they didn't have a budget like that because most shows didn't have to think about, you know, if it was if it wasn't modern day sixties clothing, they were doing a period show and they were renting it and they would just go back and forth with the rental company. But the idea that people had they had specialty wardrobe, and a lot of how they were able to bust their budget was they were paying pennies to some some Asian women little chinese japanese ladies to get get wardrobe needs done over and and they but they had to keep it secret to avoid angering anybody but on one hand they were getting by but on the other hand there was a system that allowed you know, there was a black market going on basically in labor and that's kind of what the situation with wa they didn't invent it they were trying to use him and reach out and the last 10 20 years we've tried to really publicize once this got known and it's been growing every day so yeah i'm so i'm glad to do my little part here today and and help further that. Again, the xenophobia, not about Gene and Bob and, and Star Trek and Desi Lu, but about the system of 20, 30 years before that, that had led him not to be able to, somebody of his talent not to be. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's what I think is more. Um, it, it, 
has a longer lasting effect is um, how some of these policies, these attitudes have become part of larger systems that that discriminate people. It's not it's not usually as obvious as the the, the tragedy of this week in and the um, the the mass shooting that largely targeted um, um, Asian people, uh, Asian Americans, but. And, and it's and, not often as, as and even obvious. Asian women. Yeah, and, and it's not as obvious as, as Terra Prime, the episode, um, or as Star Trek Picard. Um, but sometimes mm-hmm. it is not knowing who Wa Chang uh, was um, and, um, and why that might be. So uh, thanks for that, Larry. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and all those people I ran through, the more famous, the lesser famous behind the scenes, It's some of that's just like who knows who assistant directors are, right? Unless you're yeah. a credit watcher. But that's that was more informative. But Wa Chang, and they're all great people, and you know we all know Mike Okuda. But, but yeah, when I, and I knew this, but when I, saw, I found this graphic someone had put together, and I was like, well, this kind of gets the point across. So bang, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Um, let's get into the away mission here. And this is the part of the show where I give you, um, some example of a skill, a technique, some way for you to apply what we've been talking about, um, to, to your own life. And, um, um, I was trying to think of Larry, what to say that's going to be different than what we talked about in our racism, um, episode. And here I want, um, I'm, I'm thinking more about not necessarily how to overcome these problems, but how to, um, how to support, um, you and communities who are impacted by all of this. Um, you know, there's been, um, I, I was just talking to a psychologist friend of mine, uh, this week, and she was telling me that, um, you know, how much the the xenophobia the the racism and the, the sexism um is is really coming to light here and how her experience as um an asian american woman like throughout her life um she has been has been called such sexist things just walking down the street and um and for anyone who's been experiencing difficulty dealing with with all of this, one of the things that's been shown to be really effective in communities that are experiencing community-based trauma, like a lot of Asian Americans are this week, um, it's to get some connection with communities that you feel safe and, and supported by. So the... the um, Away mission for this week is really to uh, to find a way to connect with someone else that you feel safe talking to about these things, about what's been going on. Um, and that might mean you want to talk about it. It might mean you want to connect with them and you want to do something that's not talking about it because you just want a, a bit of a break from all of the stuff. Whatever it is, connecting with communities mm-hmm. that you feel you share some identity with and that um, that are going to be supportive, that's that's one way to get through the the traumatic news that we've been experiencing this week. And we hope we gave some, mm-hmm. we created some space for that here. Um, I know everyone's in a different 
space and maybe you want to talk about these things and think about these things maybe you didn't and maybe if you didn't you tuned out this week um that's okay um that was part of what larry and i wanted to do was just to create a little bit of space to talk about what's been going on in our own community um and yeah larry, well, that's yeah go ahead. i did it just to shine some love on enterprise for doing something right for no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> enterprise doesn't get a lot of uh you know it's like oh and uh it emerged darkly's great <laughs> and that's where the conversation <laughs> as the years have gone by it's like people think better of enterprise but i was i had not watched those intact maybe since first run i was mm. kind of i was especially in the first one the speech that paxton gives and i knew the colonel green film was it was so vague and fuzzy and i made notes the first time i watched it in in 2005 but the scene where paxton is watching an old film of colonel green and I had forgotten that Colonel Green was tied to right after the post. He was tied to World War Three and right after, which means it's like 100 years old by the time Paxson's watching it. But to, to think about how, you know, neo-Nazis are watching films of Hitler right now. And that's been, you know, 80 years ago or 70 years ago. It's like, oh, this is it's the same thing about how the poison can still find, you know, can still find a, without context. And when people are allowed, you know, I. I was a kid, I'd say, you know, who dropped you on your head, which I know is not very mental health friendly, but it's like when when something somebody was damaged in their in their logical, rational thinking or they've been so hurt by something, traumatized by something that their thinking process is allowed to to process, you know, the poison of that kind of thing that it was such a it was such a metaphor for looking back. And then yet again, has so many aspects of we talk about DS9 being pre 9-11 and being so prescient about talking about civil liberties versus state security and you know the other there but there were a lot of aspects of that enterprise episode that um even when they weren't being so elegantly you know written and portrayed they were a little on the nose but how i have to stop and think well that was 15 years before the situation we're in now it was four years after 9-11 but but before that um, anyway, that was that was yeah, what was yeah. for me. Yeah, um, oh. just one more quick thing to mention. Uh, Nathaniel's talking about how xenophobia can also merge into misogyny, and and this is the whole idea of um, of intersectionality. Um, maybe you've heard that term. Um, maybe you haven't, but the idea that um, you can stand uh, in the middle of the two streets in Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and people. Oh, not not that kind of intersectionality. Okay, different stuff, Larry. Uh, oh, okay. So this is this different is more about how. Okay. Um, you know, if you're if you're an Asian woman, you can't disconnect the experience of being a woman and also of being Asian American. That these things intersect with each other. I can't disconnect the experience of being South Asian and being a male and um, you know identifying as male. Like these these things um, come together, and so. Um, these experiences uh intersect with each other and so if we're if we're for um um equity across genders with all genders then we also really need to support um anti-racism and how that uniquely plays out against asian american women so these things all intersect with each other so if you want to be for equity across genders you also have to be for anti-racist attitudes because all this stuff it's intersects I, I, it's a big I've heard so it's many a big in, itic 
Yeah, in the celebration of the 100th anniversary of the was it the 20th Amendment in 1920? No, the 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 women's suffrage equal right to vote amendment was 1920, and we had the centennial last year trying to celebrate or 199. Anyway, in the middle of the pandemic, trying to mark this, you know, wearing the white suffragette outfits. Yeah. But but watching a lot of black women activists saying, well, that's great. But there were still an awful lot of women who couldn't vote after 1919 because they were all black. The black women weren't getting to vote still. So it was like they were talking about how that was really a staggered, you know, situation. I want to let me do one shout out here to somebody maybe maybe new to our community also today. Jason Marks. So hi, Jason, if, if you've been with us before, but he had a we were talking about some of the alien examples. He's like, hey, the Dominion was pretty much all xenophobic. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. About everybody, and, all solids. And, I mean, but um, and, even though even though it began as a reaction about they had been pre- it's like the pendulum swinging back. The 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 founders were xenophobic against solids because they had been abused. But it's like it's like the double, you know, it's like the abuser becomes the abused. Then they had they had been hunted down and and tried to be made extinct so they're going to come back they're going to roar back and wipe out everybody else so which is not the healthiest outcome but that even though that was the ba- you know even though a a crime was the basis of their xenophobia that still doesn't make it right i mean makes sense makes sense and and yeah. that's um i think the dominion is you know opening up the halo frequencies just for a little bit so we can yeah. we can kind of dive into some of these we questions had a really great start today so hopefully we can get some time in yeah yeah the um the thing about um the dominion is it is complicated right larry like the the changelings um the founders of the dominion they have experienced they have a long long it's been a long road of of discrimination that um that the founders have have experienced and it's it's part of that reason why they've become so isolationist uh, mm-hmm. and and have created this larger structure that is trying to protect them um they do cross a line which you know i i i kind of wish we could revisit Odo and all the other founders and, and see how are they doing now? Cause I'd like to believe that Odo has helped them in some way to overcome their mm-hmm. own, uh, xenophobia and, uh, the dominion is not, um, it, it's, it, it kind of parallels what we were talking about with, um, Germany in World War II, right, Larry? That th- this group of people who really struggled in post-World War One, um, economically suffered were the exact people that were vulnerable to this totalitarian government that, that mm-hmm. um, created these common enemies and engaged in the Holocaust, right? Um, the founders in some, in some of the similar way right. were really struggling, were discriminated against and became vulnerable to, um, to the very xenophobic um, beliefs that led them to create the dominion and to subjugate the gamma quadrant and then later try to invade the alpha quadrant that this this whole idea of we're going to attack you before you have a chance to hurt us because that's what you're going to do you are going to hurt us yeah i mean we could keep we could we could, especially i feel like on voyager we're kind of overlooking it because i think a lot of the cases in voyager like the devore there was kind of the standout but since Voyager was all about the planet of the week because we're still moving, you know, it didn't sit 
it didn't sit in local space and occasionally find a new world because we think about the big governments. But um, yeah, that was also that's all fodder for dramatic storytelling. Sadly, as long as the good guys and heroes come out in the end, and sometimes that doesn't always happen. Um, but yeah, st- as, you know, prejudice, stereotyping, um, xenophobia, racism are are dramatic fodder. They're tools for telling a story. Hopefully, the story points to a metaphor, an allegory, a good conclusion. You know, a parable. That makes us all feel better because at least some a little bit of good was done somewhere in some corner of of the universe somewhere. But um, it's not that it's not fodder for storytelling, um, and it yeah. because and, and it emotionally resonates with us because sadly it's not an alien concept. We all get it, and we can you know feel good or feel bad along the way, but feel good. So you know, I mean, it's like it's like you said, it's a meta. It's intersectional there on its <laughs> well, and and on its, this is uh, impact. This is where, um, you know, we, we mention ITIC often, um, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Chris says ITIC is a supremely valid outlook um, for our time and for all time. And I agree with that. Um, and the thing about ITIC is um, it is very, uh, we need to always, always, I mentioned this before, constantly be vigilant um, for uh, discrimination here. Libby is talking about um, um, legis- pending legislation right now in Arkansas um, that is anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ laws um, that would really um, hurt, discriminate, um persecute um people who are trans and people who identify as lgbtq plus this is the thing about intersectionality and about itic you you can't pick and choose your fights here we have to be for equity um for all people uh regardless of how they identify regardless of where they come from regardless of what they believe and if we're not larry we're not really doing the tough work of of being idic, of working yeah. towards that that future that we all love in Star Trek. Like we we have to be for equity for for all people. We we can't pick and choose our fights here. Yeah, I mean, Star Trek fans. Since I mean, just you know, on a on a on a joking level, when I'd see two fans get in a fight about some, some trivia thing or something back in the day, and you kind of go, "The whole whole guys, come on, idiot, idiot!" I'd say, "Are we going to come in?" I, it's like, "Are you going to make me come in there and scream idiot at you when people would be <laughs> fighting over something like inconsequential but fun?" And then you ramp that up to the big issues of the day, and you, you and I, I, it's like, "Do I have to come in there and scream idiot at you?" Um. And that getting back to the whole thing about I see some so-called Star Trek fans say spouting things, and I just want to go. I'm sorry, did you did you miss the whole part about the idic thing? But revving it up to last year, just recently, I was trying to track this back. But when the when the post George Floyd, you know, upheaval arose in reaction to that, and all the racial justice, the Black Lives Matter movement re-energized, and so many people across the board were involved. I saw emerging on some of the fans channels um, and just recently was trying to chase this back. The women at warp group, their podcast. uh, And one of them was telling me Heather Barker was one, but wherever it started from, somebody came up with a, a idic means BLM just as a simple statement, Uh, like for the Star Trek community. And I was like, part of me was like, well, yeah, (laughs) but it was like, Oh, you know what? This needs to be said. It's like, 
hello, take your old thing that you're the, the not a rut, but the frame that you're so used to thinking. Now, eh, here, it, look, it's 2020, it's 2021. Here's what that means yeah. in real life. Here's what yeah. that means, you know. And and speaking of uh, podcasts, Larry, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, if anyone wants to learn more about um, um, Asian Americans and, and Star Trek, there's a great podcast called All the Asians on Star Trek, where the, um, oh, the okay. mission um, hosted by Phil Yu, the mission of this podcast is to interview all the Asians that have appeared on Star Trek. And um, it's, it's really wonderful. The The most recent episode interviewed uh, Rosalind Chow, um, from, uh, Ke- who portrayed Keiko on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So if you're interested more about the Asian American community on Star Trek and, uh, and probably Asian Canadian community as well, as Larry said, check out all the Asians uh... on Star Trek. Does his podcast display a pro on camera bias? Um, it is all the actors. Yeah, it's all the actors mm. on Star Trek, not well, you necessarily. Know, there's an intersectional dynamic here. You could talk to behind the scenes. <laughs> Why is um, he discriminating against behind the scenes? <laughs> actually, there's probably some some of the actors have also been behind the scenes, I'm guessing here. Well, okay, but I'm talking about I'm talking about anyway the the some of the folks I I'm totally kidding, but anyway, uh, and what's the name of that again? All the Asians on Star Trek. All the Asians on Star Trek is the okay. podcast. Yeah, I'll reach yeah. out to him and say, well, if you want some Asians on Star Trek that you never saw the face of, I can help. I you think that's it. a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that'd that. be cool. Um, he does uh, these um he does these one offs where he has uh um, people in the Asian American community talk about one of their favorite episodes of Star Trek. So I think there's definitely some room for, uh, he calls those away missions, um, slightly different than our away missions, but, um, uh, I think that would be a cool exploration, um, to do some of the Asian Americans behind the scenes too. Um, let's see, Larry, any comments that we haven't gotten to? uh, Oh, we never, you know, we didn't mention it, Larry. I'm sorry we started late, folks. This was my fault again. I was running into not only parent delays, but uh, parent delays because my daughter also has a cold, which also is making her irritable. Um, It's not, it's not COVID-19, but it's, um, it's just a cold and she's more irritable as a result. So, so sorry, folks. We started late because of me. You're forgiven. Uh, yeah, That's why I, you wore that T-shirt. Like, don't hit. Yeah, me. I was like, please, please, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no oh, man. Uh, no. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so good show. Um, hi, Johnny Beal. I saw. I've, I'm really trying to keep up with the chat this week, guys and gals. Um, anyway, hopefully a good topic. Uh, interesting. Um, yes, yes. We were sitting around trying to figure out what to do this week. And I, I had a couple of, and some of it was coming from this whole situation, but we didn't exactly what tack to take as far as, uh, but this had come up before and you said, well, let's just do xenophobia from. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things that (laughs) finally I said, wait, it's Terra prime, but yes. One of the things that I hope, um, we can talk about in the future too is um gun violence and that's something that i know is um Mm. for a global audience you probably look at the 
mass shootings that happened in America, and you're like, what is wrong with well, America? Talk about intersectionality. Part of this was not only was this guy uh, did what he did, he was able to get the gun that he did it on the day that he did it. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I want to talk about gun violence at some point. Um, I know this is very naive to say, but um, for a very long time, I've believed that if we can have good non-lethal weapons, that that's one way forward. Uh, so like weapons that do have like a stun capability. I think there's there's uh, the problem with that is I ha- that that viewpoint, I think, expresses a lot of ignorance of the culture of guns in america and and well, that all was, of that. that was what a taser was supposed to be and you see taser abuse all the time yeah right? yeah so it's a it's a complicated issue but i think that's another larry that's one piece of a lot of these tragic stories from the last year that we haven't yet tackled so i hope um hope we can tackle that in the near future i think star trek has a lot to say about about weapons um we see them from the get-go <laughs> in the original series. They, they every away mission, uh, someone's carrying a phaser. So I think we've got um, we've got a lot we could say about about weapons um, mm-hmm. and gun gun violence and gun safety and and all of that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think I already know the K three that I will do for that. Whoa! Yeah. That is, that is thanks, thanks to thanks to Trek Files, and I'll leave it there. Um, but yeah, Ed, listen, I don't want to get away without... Uh, we oh, should, oh, oh, should... Yes? Larry, one thing. We didn't mention the time change. Um, one of oh, our... Yeah. Yes, one of we our uh, on that, yeah. European viewers saying, why is why are y'all early um, this week? And I, I've already been through this with Tuesday Live and, and the Portales this week, and I, I bungled Tuesday, I got Wednesday right, and here I totally forgot to mention it again. Christoph, I'm sorry you're doing your best <laughs> to remind us remind me and uh yeah so yeah, we were so we, yeah. yeah go ahead Larry. it'll be the same thing next week too which i really don't want anybody to miss because next week is our 50th episode so we yeah, really we, a, we have a really fun episode planned for our 50th um it's gonna be a fun thing but yeah folks there's um uh, the united states does a stupid time change and um not the entire united states actually most of it um, so we actually, um, our time changed by an hour. Um, it went forward an hour. Um, so well, it's not, so, I think for one more, Europe's going to end it, but they're, they, they change, Europe changes too. It's just that this year there's like always one week and this year it'll be two weeks for us on Saturday. This we're never together. We never, if we all change together, that would be the other part of this. But we don't. There's always a yeah. like a one or two week gap where we're like different on the fall right. and the spring both. And that's what that's what really mucked us today. We changed and they didn't yet. Yeah, and it's it's really annoying, Larry. I mean, my um, God, you can't tell a three year old that there's being a time change. It's been so disruptive to our sleep schedule this week, um, which doesn't hasn't helped. Um, hasn't helped with all the stuff going on this week. So, yeah, I wish we could just get rid of that. Um, it would be nice. Anyways, um, okay, Larry. Well, folks, we've had a wonderful time here, um, with you this week, as we always do. 
Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nemechek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>